I want to share with you this morning what I believe might be the most universal Thanksgiving text, Bible text there is, but let's first have a word of prayer. Jesus, we thank you so much for the music we've already been blessed with, for the reading, uh, for the reminder of even in this crazy world, there are still moments to pause and to give thanks. We thank you today for Eugene and his new wife who is here for the first time as his bride with us. We thank you for the opportunity to pause and to be reminded of all the reasons that there are to give thanks to you. Help us, Lord. Touch our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen. So as I said, I want to share with you the most universal, what I think is the most universal Thanksgiving text. And I'm going to try to do it because I realize right now as I'm standing here, and I just looked at my Bible, that I forgot my glasses. So we will try to do that. I got progressive lenses along the way, and I was complaining about them earlier, and now they are, I think they're in my office. Uh, but I, I, well, I can't see my Bible, but I, have it, I can see my notes. Okay, it's unlocked, I think. Uh, although I don't know if the code's unlocked, and I don't really probably want to shout it over TV, so Merle, you know, so. This isn't planned, sorry. I was just talking about how as I get older, I, I like more things, and now I realize as I get older, I forget my glasses. Oh my goodness. Dave, you're welcome to tease me afterwards since I was teasing you before about age, and now, uh, now you can get me. Universal text. Why is it a universal text of Thanksgiving? It is because it gives every person that has ever been born, whoever's walked this earth, a reason to be thankful. And it's found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 45. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 45, if you want to turn there. And it is actually just the last sentence in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 45. And it reads in this way. For he that is speaking of the Father in heaven makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. In this text, both rain and sun are, are good. We have to remember that Jesus is speaking to a largely agrarian culture. And so the sun and the rain were both necessary for uh, the production and the growth of their crops and to think, keep things going. Thank you, Bill, for that. Thank you, thank you to keep things growing. Oh, that's much better. <laughs> and so these people love both these things. And, and, and the Bible tells us right here in this text that no matter who you are, you have a daily gift of sun and rain. It, it, it's a, the text is a metaphor to say that everyone, every single person that walks on this earth receives gifts from God on a daily basis. And thus, in that one sentence, we are reminded, we are reminded in this one sentence in the Bible that we all, that every human being has a reason to be thankful. The good that God sends, he sends rain on the just and the unjust. He sends the sun on the good and on the evil. Everyone has a reason to be thankful, whether they are a follower of Christ or not, humanity in general. And this is the truth that we are going to explore in this week's and next week's sermon. This week through a story in the Bible and next week maybe from more of a, from more of a theological approach from the book of Romans. To this today though, I want to invite you to turn just a few books over to Luke chapter 11 or Luke chapter 17, sorry, and verse 
11. Luke chapter 17 and verse 11. And the Bible says, On the way to Jerusalem, he, speaking of Jesus, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance. If you've spent any time in a church setting or reading the Bible, we understand that one of the most feared and, and loathsome diseases at that point in history was leprosy. It, it, it set you apart from society. It, it, there was a stigma upon it that put, set you apart from society in, in, in horrific ways. You were, you were ostracized. You were no longer allowed to be around your family. You were no longer allowed to, to work. You were no longer allowed to go to the temple and worship. Beyond that, you, you had horrible pain from the nerve damage that leprosy caused. And you had, you had shame because of the smell of your rotting skin. All of these things added to the horribleness of this disease. And so the Bible tells us that these men were at a distance due to their uncleanliness. And they call out to Jesus, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now, we don't know exactly what the distance was, although one source says that if an individual was windward of a healthy person, if someone with leprosy was windward of a healthy person, that they should stand at least 50 yards away. And so when I see this, this story in my mind's eye, I see these uh, lepers calling off from a distance, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And, and I don't see the kind of the stoic Jesus just, you know, softly saying, go and show. But I see Jesus calling back, hey, go show yourself to the priests. Go show yourselves to the priests. What Jesus is saying there is I'm going to heal you. I'm going to have mercy on you. And that's exactly what happened. The Bible tells us then in verse, in verse the end of verse 14, and as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Now note that that little detail in there is not in there by accident. Almost all of the biblical writers, it seems like in the New Testament, were consistently confronting uh, the Jewish community with their biases, with their prejudices, with their, their racism. Let us remember this, and this is very interesting, especially in the context, in the world that we are in, in the community that we are in. Jesus chose to enter into a community, to be born into a community and to grow his church out of a community that struggled with racism, that struggled with prejudice, that struggled with bias. That might be shocking to us that Jesus chose to work through those type of people that were struggling with these sins, although we may not even say they were struggling because they didn't really see them as sin. They just saw these people as less than them because of their nationality, as not belonging amongst them because of where they were from. But Jesus chose to enter in and to work with people who were struggling with these things, but not only to work with them, but to change them. Because Jesus is willing to work with us in our struggles, but he always confronts us in our struggles. And so Bible writer after Bible writer, every chance they get, every opportunity they get, they take the moment to confront the folk with their prejudice. And Luke is doing that right here. He's telling them, the one who came back was a Samaritan. Ellen White actually wrote that the other nine were Jews. And there was only one Samaritan amongst them, and he was the one coming back. 
Jesus worked with and through prejudiced people, but he never allowed them to, to ignore or disregard their prejudices. Jesus still works in and through prejudiced people, but he does not allow us to ignore our prejudices. And continuing then in verse 17 of chapter 17, it tells us, then Jesus answered, we're not 10 cleansed, where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except for this foreigner? Again, Jesus doing the same thing. And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Besides this being a story about a man coming back and giving thanks, what else does this teach us about Thanksgiving? What does it teach us about that, that universal principle that every single person has reason to give thanks to God? This story to me is a beautiful picture a beautiful picture of the universality of Jesus's love, of God's love through Jesus. There are three examples in this story to help us understand this. First, Jesus gives these men gifts, even though in their very real circumstances, they are suffering and struggling. He looks beyond their circumstances and he looks for a way in which to bless them. He responds to their appeal. They have a very miserable, a very, a very painful, a very shameful disease. And yet Jesus steps in and, and still seeks to bless them. Jesus, in our worst moments in life, is still looking for ways to show us, to communicate to us, to, to convey to us this very truth that he loves us, that he values us, that he cares for us. We often miss these moments or, or maybe we see them, but we, we, we let them go quickly. We quickly forget about them as, as Walt prayed. We spend more time grumbling than recognizing all the gifts that we have, but they are there nonetheless. We see in this story right here to remember that even in our worst moments, Jesus is still going to step in in ways that, that may be unexpected. And we should be open to those gifts and to keep those gifts fresh in our memory that we continue to thank God. Second thing though, we see from this story, and these are the details of the story. We see that these individuals in this story, these, these 10 lepers, that they are defined by society as less than. Nine of them are defined by society as less than because they are sick with the disease of leprosy. And this has ostracized them from the community. They are therefore seen as less than. They are seen as not worthy. They are seen as beyond hope. As we know from the Bible, oftentimes when someone had a disease like this, people assumed it was because they were a great sinner. And so these people were assumed to be great sinners as worthless, as dangerous, as contagious. They were shunned and segregated from their society. These folk lived in utter isolation with really only one hope. And that was for a quick death. That's how they lived. And then the, the one man who came back to Jesus he not only had the, the, the negative of the leprosy, but he had a double portion of, 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 of hatred against him. He was a Samaritan. He not only disgusted society by the way he smelled, but he disgusted society because of his nationality. They felt that he should not be there in their land. They should not be in their territory. He was not truly a, a, one of God's children. But Jesus didn't worry about what society thought of these people. He still loved them and wanted to give them gifts. You might be here today facing a very real challenge in your life. You may, you may feel like, like life has dealt you an unfair hand. And that could be very true. The Bible tells us in this world, you will have trouble. I tell my boys, 
One of the things I say to them is I remind them that fairness ended at the garden. There are just things that unfortunately happen in this world that are unfair. You might have a disease that is ravaging you. You might have a relationship that is, that is breaking. You might have a financial situation that seems too much for you to bear. Jesus still, no matter who you are, whether follower of Jesus or not, is still looking for opportunities to communicate to you that he loves you and he values you even in the midst of that struggle. You might come here and you might see that you might feel like the, the social structures of our world, of our nation, maybe of our church are, are oppressive or they have set you up for failure or, they, or that you have been treated unfairly in some way. Jesus comes to you and he wants you to know that, that there is one at least that still loves you, that still values you, that is still looking to bless you, not because society deems it so, but just because you are a human being, a child of God. There is still reason to be thankful. But then there's a third reason in, the, in this story that, that I think promotes better than any of the others, the universal reason that we should all be thankful. And it is this, nine of these men never come back to Jesus. I don't know if we understand what that means. Nine of these men never come back to Jesus. And yet what does he do? He still heals all 10 of them, all 10 of them. Nine of them walk away and as they're, all 10 of them walk away and, and, and all 10 of them, as they're walking away, they begin to feel their, their synapses in their limbs firing again. They, they start to feel their nerves working again. Suddenly the odor is going away from their, from their rotting flesh. Suddenly they realize that they're made whole and only one turns around and comes back. All the nine, all the other nine go off leaping and I'm sure celebrating with joy what has happened to them. They have received a gift of new earthly life. They have been given the opportunity to reintegrate into society. They just have to go and show themselves to the, to the priests of the temple and they'll be able to rejoin their families. They'll be able to hug their children again and hold their wives and go back to work and worship at the temple once more. Nine of them continue on their way. And here's what is the truth that is so beautiful about this. Jesus knew he knew that nine of them would not return and yet he still healed them and gave them a gift. He still communicated to them, I love you and you're valuable to me. I want all of us to understand this. I want to say to everybody in this room, you may choose not to ever give your life fully to Jesus. You may choose never to surrender that thing that he is asking you to surrender but in spite of that, he will still love you and daily seek to give you good gifts and to show his love to you. You will never, hear me folks, whatever you're searching for in this world, you will never, ever, ever find anyone that loves you and will keep blessing you day after day after day, knowing that you don't choose them and that you are not appreciative of what they have done for you. And yet Jesus does. Every parent I've ever known has communicated the following to a child at some point, in some way. And I use parents because I know how much I love my kids and I don't know how it's possible to love them anymore. And yet, yet I know that, 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 that parents communicate this. I remember hearing it somewhat growing up and I know that I've done similar. And, and you can just subtly nod if this is you, okay, as well. If you recognize or are familiar with any of these words, 
Those who we love the most, sometimes when we, when we do something for our children and they seem unappreciative, maybe we're helping them with their room and they don't seem appreciative, and we say, hey, look, if you're not gonna appreciate what I'm doing for the, you, then you do it on your own. Don't, don't communicate too loudly if you're familiar with this, but just, you know, subtly. <laughs> or we say, look, if, if, you, if you're not appreciative, then I'll just take it back. You don't need it. Look, if you're not going to appreciate all that I do for you, then I'm not going to drive you over to your friend's house or whatever it, it may be. The people that love us most have, have said this to us. And yet, and yet, Jesus says, you don't appreciate it. Let me bless you today. You don't appreciate it. Let me bless you tomorrow. You don't appreciate me. Let me bless you the day after that. This is the way Jesus is. He gives this constant level of, of what's known in theological terms as, as common grace. We as humans, even with our limited knowledge, so often fail to give grace. I was talking with someone on the phone and they were frustrated with something that was happening at one of our institutions and they were expressing their frustration and they were, it, it was as, as so often happens with us as humans, we, they were being critical without knowledge. You know, we sometimes as humans assume the worst and they were saying something about the lack of information that they were getting, that this institution was providing and how, how they never published the information that they wanted to know. And I pointed out to them, I said, well, actually in the newsletter that that group puts out in the last four months, they've, they've given that information each of the months. And the person said to me, oh, I don't read that newsletter. At that point, it might've been good for them to say, I was wrong then, I, I just should, I shouldn't have said that, I should have let that go, that was my bad. But they just went on to the next thing. M my point is, in that little story, is that person did what so many of us do, without full knowledge, without being fully aware of a situation, without fully understanding others and the situation they are in, we still hesitate to give grace to people. And yet in this story, what I see is a savior who with full knowledge that nine people would never return, still said, I'm gonna make the sun to shine upon them today. I'm gonna make the rain to fall upon them today. I'm gonna restore them to society. The one who has full knowledge about their hearts and their minds and who they are, what does he do? He still shows grace. That's the Jesus that we serve. He says, I'm going to heal all 10 of you. And nine of them say, thanks, see you later. And they just keep walking. Y'all, Jesus knows everything about you and everything about me. He knows the deepest secrets of our hearts that maybe not even our spouses know. He knows if you are never really going to become a true follower of his. He knows if you're going to be one of those that receives all kinds of blessings, but just keeps on going away from him. And yet he still, day after day, is going to send the sun metaphorically to shine upon you. And he still, day after day, is going to send the rain to metaphorically come down on you and grow you. Not because your circumstances are not great, are great. not because society says you are worthy, not even because you are going to love or obey him but just because he loves you so much, he will do that. I'm tempted almost to say, use the phrase uh, that, that he can't help himself, but, but I think that would, that, would, that would 
make it too, that'd be derogatory towards him. You see, because he voluntarily does this. This is not an involuntary action. Well, I just have to be good to them. I can't help myself. No, he voluntarily chooses every single day to say, I love you. Let me show you in this little way. Let me show you in this large way. I love you. Let me show you in this little way. Let me show you in this large way. To even those who will never turn back to him or to thank him. He says, here's a gift today. And here's a gift tomorrow. And here's a gift the next day. That's why no matter who we are or how we feel about Jesus, we all have reason to be thankful this Thanksgiving to him to him. But the story does not end there. The story does not end there. We all receive blessings of common grace. But there is one gift that the Lord will not force upon us. It is only that comes through choice. Back to verse 14. Go and show yourself to the priests. And as they, were clean, and as they went, they were cleansed. They were all healed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving thanks to him. Now he was a Samaritan. Did Jesus answer, were not 10 cleansed? Where are the nine? This is a rhetorical question. These are both rhetorical questions. Was no one found to return and give praise to God except for this foreigner? Again, a rhetorical question. Jesus is just kind of probing there, reminding them of their prejudice a little bit. And then he said to the man, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. And in that last phrase, we see the gift that can only come through our choice to turn back and come to Jesus. Because when Jesus said to him, your faith has made you well, he was not talking about the physical healing. This man had already been physically healed. All 10 of them, as they were going, the Bible says, verse 14, they were cleansed, they were made new. All 10 of them are running and laughing and dancing and, and jumping and able to hug and embrace and be a part of society again. All 10 of them. So it's not talking about physical healing. In fact, the Greek tells us that, that if we were to translate it literally, he would be saying, your faith has saved you. In this life, folks, Jesus is just going, just going to continue to give you things to show you how much he loves you. But there is one gift, the gift of salvation that is dependent upon your choice and mine. It is a gift for those who see the everyday moments of Jesus's love, who see the big miracles and the very small miracles, who experience the subtle moments of, of Jesus's care and warmth. And suddenly they realize there's a bigger grace than this even, the grace of salvation. And they choose to come back to Jesus and fall on their face and worship him. Everyone has a reason to be thankful, but, 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 but Jesus wants us to, to experience the greatest joy of thanksgiving. And that is found in truly surrendering your life to him and realizing that what the scripture says is true, that every good and perfect gift comes from the father above. Jesus has this ultimate gift waiting for us. This weekend, no matter who you are, I hope that you'll pause and think for a moment. Without Jesus, man, I have no reason to be thankful for any of this. 
But I hope that, that after that initial pause, you will consider the one leper who recognized if this man did this for me, there's got to be something more beyond this. And immediately turned back and came to Jesus and fell at his feet and said, thank you. And in that moment, in that moment of thanks, Jesus saw into his heart, Pastor Candace, it wasn't just an outward expression, saw into his heart and said, your faith has made you well. Not well in your body, but well in your spirit. Well in your spirit. This Thanksgiving, I want you to hear more than just the Thanksgiving of this world. I want you to experience more than that. I want you to experience the Thanksgiving of what it means to be saved, to be made well by our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that, that all of us, no matter where we stand with you, have a reason to give thanks. And many of us will just keep on walking along. We don't pause. Maybe we say a quick thank you and then move on. But Lord, with the everyday blessings that we get, the little ones, some are, some are very small in comparison to the struggles, but there's still these little blessings. Lord, help us to realize that, that every blessing is from you. And you will continue to give and to give and to give day in and day out. But there is one gift that you can't give unless we make a decision, or one gift, I guess, that we can't experience unless we make a decision to receive it. And that is the gift of the fullness of your salvation. The gift of the peace that comes with knowing that our sins are as scarlet, you make them white as snow. The gift that, that, that comes and tells us though you've been ravaged, though you've been abused, though you've been mistreated in this world, there is a better world coming. The knowledge of that gift truly only comes with falling at the feet of Jesus and saying, thank you, Jesus, for all you have already done. Save me. Lord, this Thanksgiving, may we hear the voice of our Savior say, your faith, has made you well. And may we enter truly into the fullness and the thanksgiving of salvation. Amen.